I believe we're entering what we may call the new agricultural revolution. And what we are realizing is that the success of all agriculture, okay, not only that of animals, but also with crops, lies in the growing, the maintaining, and cultivating, if you will, a healthy gut or a healthy root microbiome. Tomorrow. It's never a guarantee unless we take care of today. We're a cooperative grounded in 100 years of forward thinking ever since our beginning in 1921. It's the pursuit of a reliable food supply, a sustainable future, and vibrant communities for all of us, rooted in the promise of a brighter future. This is Rooted in Tomorrow, the podcast by Land O'Lakes, Inc. I'm your host, Kim Olson. Join us for stories of innovators, changemakers, and the modern entrepreneurs who work the land. Now, if you eat, then you know probiotics, prebiotics, and microorganisms that live inside of you can have an impact on how your body responds to sickness or how quickly you can recover from certain diseases or simply how strong your immune system can be. Have you ever seen the show Yellowstone? Those horses are fed only the best type of nutrition. No, seriously, to be a show horse, it matters. If you're a consumer, what an animal is fed might not be something you consider when you buy your food. On the pod today, we have a doctor from Purina Animal Nutrition. Dr. Peter Carnesis deeply cares about the health and performance of animals. All right. Say, Peter, how um, lovely to have you on. I, uh, for our listeners, I just asked Peter as we went into the segment if I could call him by his first name, but actually... Um, Peter is a doctor, and uh, we don't get a lot of doctors on uh, our podcast. Um, would you would you prefer uh, doctor? We think of doctors like veterinarians or medical doctors. Um, Peter, I think of you a little bit more as a scientist. How how do you think of yourself? I I think very much of myself as a scientist. Uh, so. Peter's just fine. I'd hate to, to get any of the veterinarians <laughs> up in arms. Well, we can't have that. Uh, so let's let's start with just a little bit about you, Peter, if you wouldn't mind. Um, what attracted you to researching animal nutrition? So, uh, Kim, you know, I've always had a deep love for science and agriculture. You know, I grew up on a farm as a kid. And... Um, the concept of using science and technology to help producers solve some of the problems that they face uh, such that they may then continue to function and operate in a world that they love and have the kind of um, solutions that help them move their programs forward. And I think that's what sort of really keeps me excited, keeps me going uh, with regard to science and technology and the impact that potentially has for our producers. You mentioned you grew up on a farm. Where was that? Oh, that was in Africa. So uh, when I was a kid, I, I grew up on a small farm in, in uh, the state of Natal in, in South Africa. It was a small dairy farm. Lovely. Um, so it, when you think about growing up on a farm, um, did you bring any of your experience there to your work today? Um, definitely. You know, I think one of the things you realize is how hard farmers work. 
how much passion they have for what they do, um, the care and, uh, that they have for their animals or the crops that they, they produce, that this is a, more than just a livelihood for most producers. This is a, an existence. And understanding that makes uh, the science piece even more applicable because you're not only improving the welfare of the animals that they work with, but hopefully you improve the welfare of their own situation through, you know, better production and less sort of headaches around the challenges that they have been dealing with. So I think that part of it has been an important sort of connector for me to ensure that the technologies that we produce have practical uh, and functional outcomes that help producers overcome some of the challenges that they face. You're also very familiar with another place that uh, we call the farm, um, and that's our uh, Purina Animal Nutrition Center. And probably throughout our conversation for our listeners, we're going to refer to the farm. Um, can you sort of paint a picture of the, uh, the Purina Animal Nutrition Center or, or the farm for us? Yes, with pleasure. Um, the farm is located uh, in uh, Missouri, just south of uh, southwest of St. Louis. Um, it's a 1,200-acre facility in which we have production animals, beef, uh, a beef herd, and a swine herd, and horses. Within that system, we do a significant amount of work in, around the nutrition and well-being of, of animals, and we're able to test these technologies within a production environment. We have a 300 cow dairy farm, for example. The other piece of the research farm is that we have a what we term, call an emerging technology center. An emerging technology center is comprised of two labs. The one is associated with the molecular biology and um, genetics and, uh, and microbial sequencing. And so it's a very dynamic and, and interesting place that has a lot of uh, technology that <laughs> emanates from it. And that technology is then moved into tech products or that are then provided to producers. So let's let's get into it a little bit. We talked about the fact that you're a doctor. Um, is animal nutrition essentially the same as human nutrition? Or is that kind of the way you see it from a from a scientific perspective? Animal nutrition is, I think, in some regards, a little more advanced than human nutrition. And the, and the reason for that is that you know, people are somewhat independent in the way they want to go about uh, choosing what they eat, when they eat, and how much they eat. Uh, whereas in animal nutrition, we can actually formulate specifically diets that are specific for the age, stage, and production level of, of animals to ensure that we maximize the nutritional benefits of each ingredient that goes into their diet. So we'll, the nutritionists on our teams will formulate for energy and protein, you know, amino acids, vit, uh, uh, vitamins, uh, trace minerals, etc., to ensure that the animal is getting the most uh, optimal nutrition to maximize its genetic potential. So on the human side, you know, we don't have a, a barn full of people that we're going to feed <laughs> the same diet to and another barn full of people that we're going to feed a different diet to and see, okay, which ones are going to come out of that um, experiment, you know, happier or, 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 or in better, better condition. So I think from a 
purely sort of scientific point of view, human nutritionists can learn a lot about how we go about feeding animals. There's another side to this, and this is an area that our uh, research focuses on particularly, and that's what we call uh, non-nutritional additives. In other words, these are technologies that we can feed an animal that enhance its growth and performance. When you hear the word additive, you might have a negative reaction, but let's really understand what that means. Salt, sulfur dioxide, or sugar all preserve the freshness of food. They're considered additives. In the context of our conversation, animal feed additives can do the same thing. They're vitamins, enzymes, or microorganisms used to enhance the animal's health. Small adjustments can make a big difference in the well-being of animals and the overall food system. These ingredients are essentially uh, functioning within the animal at, say, at the immune level or at the gut microbiome level. And I don't think it's really a negative thing, is it? No. So I think that's a really good point, Kim, because I think the notion of an additive is something that you that, that uh, doesn't necessarily bode well for the food system. Whereas if we talk about a supplement, we probably see a supplement as something that's actually helping. So you don't talk about... Yeah, it sounds like a vitamin. Right. You don't talk about probiotic or vitamin additives for human uh, consumption. You talk about supplements. So perhaps the narrative should change a little bit because this, what we're really working on are uh, ways to supplement the nutrition in a way that we can advance the health and performance of the animal. I, I'm still back on you uh, saying they're, we're helping the animals maximize their genetic potential. And I'm looking at my eyes and my hair and my finger. I'm wondering if I maximized mine. I'm trying really hard. <laughs> <laughs> go back to <laughs> go back to my parents. Um, in, interesting. Um, you talked about the farm and kind of the differences between animals and humans. Um, how many types of animals? animals uh, does Purina Animal Nutrition um, sort of uh, research and think about um, helping them maximize their genetic potential? Well, I think you could probably say just about any animal you can think of. So let me qualify that. Um, at, at the research farm, we, we, we focus primarily on the big, the big, the big sort of livestock uh, numbers. For example, we focus on uh, pork production and pigs. Um, we focus on beef production and beef cattle, dairy production. We focus on some poultry uh, work. Um, and then we focus on the raising of, of young calves and, and young uh, animals. Then there's another whole group that focuses on what we call companion style animals. These would be animals that, that have names. So horses and um, small ruminants and, you know, backyard chickens and that sort of thing. But then there's another Part of the team, which is uh, part of the, what we call the Missouri feed lines, and these are a group of uh, highly talented individuals who focus on the feeding of exotic animals and zoo animals. So they will mm. feed and learn how to feed anything from a grizzly bear to a rhinoceros or to a little lizard. That's part of their sort of purview and, and focus. I'd say we're probably a company that feeds from A to Z in terms of the animal kingdom. 
And and are the diets A to Z as well? Is it does a bear and a mouse eat completely different things, or are there some common threads? Completely different things. You know, there's some common threads in that. Yes, you need certain vitamins and you need certain trace minerals to make sure they're healthy and 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 so on. And the diets need to be formulated so that they don't get too fat uh, or, or or too thin. So. It it is it is a, a science and an art uh, in as one moves forward into these more exotic type uh, animals. So if I'm a consumer and I'm uh, just walking down the aisle of the grocery store, is your work affecting me? Is there a, a way that uh, what you do relates to what everybody does, which is you know eat and shop and uh, in their daily mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me give you a, a small example of of one of the the uh, trends and requests, I guess, from our consumers. Um, you know, mothers that go to the supermarket to buy uh, meat, milk, and eggs, for example. Um, there's a, been a very strong trend, and it started in Europe and it moved over to the US. Now it's a global trend is that people are not interested in having antibiotic growth promoters being fed to animals. They want meat, milk, and eggs that is free of that uh, technology, which was used for a long time to control um, the uh, pathogens that may emerge within a a production cycle. So the work that we're doing is centered around gut health and immunity, and what technologies we can bring to production agriculture that can help animals grow healthily and productively without the reliance on any form of antibiotics as a growth promoting option. That's very relatable, especially as a mother, you know, as you're thinking about uh, the diets of your of your kids. Um, let's. You mentioned gut health, um, and a word that keeps coming up is microbiome. Um, can you kind of break that down for me? What What is that specifically? And is that something humans and animals have? Or? Let, let me put it in context. Okay, so yeah, please. You know, from a traditional perspective, you know, we understand farming or agriculture uh, as cultivating the land, you know, planting seeds, harvesting crops for food, or we're raising, feeding, and caring for animals to produce us meat, milk, and eggs. What we're now moving into, and this is what I call a new frontier in agriculture, and that's centered around the microbiome. So the, mi- the microbiome is, is this complex um, composition of trillions of bacteria. Majority of them are good guys, and there are a few bad guys that hang out, like in any ecosystem. The challenge Mm. comes when the bad guys get a foothold and begin to dominate the environment and cause what one would call dysbiosis or a sickness that emanates from the the GI tract. So in in the case of humans and animals, about 70-plus percent of your immune system your ability to fight disease emanates from the GI tract. And a a significant part of that is the good guys within your GI tract interacting with the gut, 
and sending messages to other parts of your body, your brain, uh, to your lungs, um, and so on. So you have what is termed a gut-lung axis or gut-brain axis. And in the terms of human uh, side, things like depression and, and, and obesity have been linked to the composition of the microbiome within the GI tract. And what we are realizing is that the success of all agriculture, okay, not only that of animals, but also with crops, lies in the growing, the maintaining, and uh, cultivating, if you will, a healthy gut or a healthy root microbiome. So what this, I think, is leads us to is I believe we're entering what we may call the new agricultural revolution. And the new agricultural revolution really is centering around how do we farm this population of bacteria? Uh, how do we cultivate them? How do we harvest them? How do we ensure that they're in a healthy population, that the bad guys are not in any way getting a foothold? So how do we get this healthy, diverse microbiome um, that then significantly impacts the health and the welfare of um, animals and humans? and crops and plants for that matter. It's fascinating. It sounds like there's a, a bit of a war going on and we're supporting the good guys. We're trying to, um, yes. And trying to make them stronger, right? Correct. Um, and it, it, now I hear, when I hear gut health for humans, I hear a lot about yogurt mm -hmm. and it's probiotics. Um, it, is that kind of the same for animals? So, yes. Yeah. So in, in the case of, on the, the the human side is that you know um, there's lots of data to show the sort of health benefits of fermented foods like you know kimchi from the Korea or or yogurts that have lactic acid bacteria or beneficial bacteria in them and the reason that there's that health benefit associated with them is that those bacteria those good guys are not only um, going to enter the GI tract and potentially outnumber and outcompete the bad guys. But some of these good bacteria are capable of producing um, what you may call uh, metabolites or bactericins. These are compounds that actually kill bad guys. And so having a healthy microbiome means you have the right composition of a whole host of bacteria some of which are producing you know, vitamins, uh, some of which are talking to each other, talking to the gut, some of which are producing, if you like, these little missiles that are targeting the bad guys. And while that microbiome is in a healthy state, it's also ensuring that one's immunity is such that it can deal with some of the bad guys. And then you have this internal army that's fighting on your behalf. Putting a SWAT team together, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Is it fair to say better animal nutrition creates a healthier food system overall? Correct. I, I was going to ask you kind of what's next in microbiome research, um, but I, I, some of it seems like when you find something that is successful, like the, the chicken and the ulcer example, you can extrapolate that out to some other species. Um, are mm -hmm. there other things that you uh, that you think of for kind of the next phase and what you're planning for 
the next year and the following? Yes. So, you know, we talked about one of the things about cultivating a, a, a healthy microbiome that's very diverse. The other piece of it is understanding within that microbiome, the description of all these bacteria, which ones potentially could be used as a probiotic. Because it, it's uh, there are certain um, taxa or, or bacteria that appear predominantly in healthy animals. And if we found that those could be used as a probiotic, we could perhaps correct a microbiome that is not in balance because we know that we can provide the right type of um, bacteria or microbiota to, to correct that imbalance. So part of the next phase is looking at what we can ha harvest from the microbiome and our understanding of what potential that uh, good guy plays in correcting or advancing the health of uh, livestock. I know um, you do a lot of work, certainly in, in nutrition, but um, I imagine you also do some work in food safety or sustainability. Um, it, can you talk about work in those two areas at all? So part of the program of understanding and developing a supplement or an additive that has health ramifications. In other words, it helps improve the animal's immune system such that it can fight off, you know, disease more effectively. And we can provide mechanisms to help advance that within the GI tract means that the antibiotics that producers need for when an animal gets really sick um, end up having more impact because we're able to significantly reduce the amount of antibi antibiotic resistant bacteria, which improves the value of that antibiotic when it's really needed, as opposed to um, it being less effective because of the resistance that's been built up over time uh, within uh, systems. So that piece alone, I think, has a huge sustain sustainability effect because we are becoming, we have fewer and fewer choices of antibiotics to deal with you know, serious uh, and chronic uh, uh, health issues, not only within humans, but also, with, also within animals. So anything we can do to reduce antibiotic resistance by uh, using technologies that improve the health and performance of animals gives an opportunity for those antibiotics to get rested and such that when they are needed, they can be more effective. It's really with an eye to the uh, future, it sounds like, um, the the sustainability work. And we usually um, wrap all of our conversations with the question, how do you see the future of agriculture? And uh, you, I, I don't know how you're going to pare it down to, to one thing. You've got so many interesting <laughs> things that are going to affect our future. But... But let me end with that. How do you see the future of agriculture? The future of agriculture is one of those things that you can say is an absolute necessity. You know, we have a, a burgeoning population that needs to be, be fed on fewer and fewer resources. But where I think that a lot of hope lies is that you have a lot of very young and talented individuals with a passion for the environment, a passion for uh, uh, feeding animals or, or caring for animals that are paving the way for new ways of looking at things and new ways of doing things. 
And so, I, you know, I have a, I'm very optimistic about the future of agriculture and the impact that it's going to have on reducing the carbon footprint of animal production, reducing the reliance on antibiotics, making things more efficient and more effective. I think agriculture has a great, uh, a great future. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Peter. I appreciate you taking the time with us. It was a uh, fascinating conversation and a valuable one. It's a pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Wherever you find your podcast, that's where you'll find us. Rooted in Tomorrow is available everywhere, except maybe the metaverse. For now, download, subscribe, and leave us a review. Stories are important to us, and we know they are to you. So head to landalakesync.com if you're looking for more. You might be surprised to see what we're capable of.